Hi, everyone. I'm Rick Barron, your host, and welcome to my podcast, That's Life, I Swear. Jack Ravel, a U.S. Air Force officer, played a critical role in preventing a catastrophic nuclear disaster during the Cold War. Unfortunately, his efforts to save the day would haunt him for the next 50 years. Not to mention, it would shorten his life. Let's jump into this. On January 24, 1961, a B-52 bomber carrying two hydrogen bombs was flying over the town of Goldsboro, North Carolina, when it lost control and crashed. In what is known as the Goldsboro Incident, the B-52 encountered problems that escalated in quick fashion. It had a fuel leak in one of its wings, and as it was trying to come in for a landing, the wing broke off and the plane crashed. Now, why does this matter? For 50 years, from 1961 to 2011, the information of the incident was kept a secret. The Air Force had acknowledged the incident, but said there was realistically no chance of the bombs going off. Well, that's good to know. What else was kept secret during that time was Jack Ravel's illness years later that stemmed from his recovering the volleyball-sized radioactive orb, which was the core of the hydrogen bomb. The orb that Jack carried close to his chest that night exposed him to massive amounts of radiation. Because of his oath that he took when joining the service, he kept his word and revealed nothing about what happened that day. Unfortunately, the Air Force did not keep their word. So let's talk about the night when all hell almost broke loose. As the bomber broke apart and heading to the ground to crash, two nuclear bombs on board fell out. One of the bombs fell slowly thanks to its parachute having deployed and drifted down gently to the ground, coming to rest against a tree. The crash was a disaster in itself, but even more terrifying was that the two bombs could be fully armed, each with a yield of 3.8 megatons. Five things to know here. What does a yield of 3.8 megatons mean? The bombs were about 250 times more powerful than the bomb that destroyed Hiroshima. Two, had the bombs exploded, it would have caused a fireball that was 30 times hotter than the sun, not to mention killing tens of thousands of people instantly. Three, the blast wave would have leveled everything within a 17-mile radius called the kill zone around the blast site. Four, the winds would have blown the fallout from the blast far north impacting cities such as Washington, D.C., Baltimore, Philadelphia, and New York City. In five, in short, had these bombs gone off, the entire eastern North Carolina land area would have been permanently uninhabitable. When Jack Ravel arrived with his team that night, the first priority was to find the two bombs and disarm them ASAP. Now, Ravel was a nuclear weapons specialist and knew that disarming the bombs was not going to be easy, as they had very complex arming and firing mechanisms. And any mistake, and I mean any mistake, could trigger an explosion. The stakes were incredibly high, and failure just wasn't an option. The first bomb was found resting against a tree with its parachute fully deployed. Now there was some good luck that made the situation a little less hectic with this bomb. It behaved precisely as a nuclear weapon was designed to behave in warfare, 
its parachute opened, its trekking mechanisms engaged, and only one low-voltage switch prevented the bomb from going off. Once the first bomb was completely disarmed, it was loaded onto the back of a flatbed truck and hauled away to Texas. As the crew hunted for the second bomb, they came across a pile of metal wreckage that gave them pause to think that the second bomb in the farm field was buried deep in the ground. Jack asked for a long wooden stick, something like a broom handle, to poke into the wet ground. The reason? He didn't want to touch metal with metal and cause a spark that might cause an explosion. Someone found a wooden rod from the back of a truck cab, and Jack started poking around in the mud. He determined that the debris was from the second bomb and quickly called in heavy excavators to start digging a large hole around the bomb itself. Now the hole had to be deep enough and wide enough not to hit the bomb embedded in the ground. Jack's team worked around the clock to disarm both bombs. They overcame numerous obstacles, including faulty tools and difficult access to the bomb's internal mechanisms. Now eventually they succeeded and found the explosive part of the bomb. Jack climbed down into the large hull and carried out the radioactive orb and other systems that would have armed the bomb. So here's the big question. Why didn't the bombs go off when they hit the ground? Both bombs had what was called an arm-slash-safe switch. Now, the bomber crew would have had to have disarmed the safe switch to make the bombs activated. Now, as for the first bomb, the arm-safe switch was still in the safe position. It was discovered that the second bomb in the hole, though, was switched to arm. The force of the impact armed the bomb, but it failed to detonate. Why? It was never determined. Something to note here. The night Jack arrived with his team, the only protection he was wearing were military fatigues and a pair of gloves. The contents that he carried out of the muddy hole was highly radioactive, and he held it close to his chest. We fast forward to 2011, and we find Jack was starting to get sick. The same year that the 1961 crash was finally declassified. A few years before, his doctors thought he had anemia. That didn't make sense to Jack, who always considered himself a very healthy, high-energy type of guy. But the doctor confirmed it, and then sent him off for a further blood test. Those tests led his doctors to diagnose him with MDS, which is a precursor to leukemia. Those same doctors also told Jack that the radiation exposure over the years in the Air Force likely caused the disease. Now, some things to note about Jack's military career. When he was serving in Vietnam, he was exposed to Agent Orange. His background as a nuclear weapons specialist led him to deal with various nuclear incidents, including a fire in New Jersey in 1960 that destroyed a nuclear warhead and spread radiation around the base. And three, after he had disarmed the bombs in the story I'm telling you about, he was sent to a hydrogen bomb testing site at Christmas Island in the Pacific, where he was exposed to about two dozen detonations as part of Operation Dominic during 1962. Being exposed to all this radiation did, over time, lead to Jack's ongoing visits in 2018, every two weeks to the doctors, for blood transfusions due to his body not making enough red blood cells. Now, Jack was curious, and he asked a doctor about his life expectancy. Well, the doctor was straight up with him, and said he gave him about three years. When asked how he might die, the doctor told him, most likely in his sleep. 
In 2014, the Veterans Administration denied Jack further insurance coverage to pay for his treatment because, in their words, there was just no direct connection between his exposure to radiation and his sickness while serving his country in the Air Force. In April 2019, Jack's lawyer went before the Board of Veterans' Appeals in San Diego, California, to plead his case. Months went by and nothing happened. In February of 2020, the final decision was rendered, granting Dr. Ravel his benefits. Yes, he got a PhD after he got out of the service. It had taken four years of work and ten months of waiting after their appeal, but Jack won. The good news was great, but it came too late. Jack eventually needed to go to an assistant family facility for long-term care, as his wife Brenda and daughter Karen could no longer care for him. On January 26, 2020, a caretaker was making the rounds and stopped by Jack's room. Hi, Jack. How are we doing today? There was no reply. He died during his sleep. The fact that he had to petition and fight for medical coverage due to his exposure to radiation while in the military was insulting. He took an oath to this country. And in the end, the military establishment turned a blind eye to their oath. So what can we learn from this story? What's the takeaway? The Goldsboro incident was a chilling reminder of the dangers of nuclear weapons and the critical importance of safety and expertise in handling them. A nightmarish crisis was averted thanks to Jack Ravel and his team's efforts. The incident serves as a testament to the courage and professionalism of the men and women who serve to prevent disasters and who keep their oath. It's a shame that our country could not have done the same for Jack. Well, there you go. That's life, I swear. For further information regarding the material covered in this episode, I invite you to visit my website, which you can find on either Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, for show notes covering out key pieces of content mentioned and the episode transcript. As always, I thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe here or wherever you get your podcast so you don't miss an episode. See you soon.